Welcome to Lydia Finette's Claim Your Confidence, a podcast that will introduce you to the most powerful women in the world as they talk about their own confidence journey. No matter what obstacles you face, Claim Your Confidence will inspire you, motivate you, and give you a roadmap to live the life you want. So, are you ready to claim your confidence? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Claim Your Confidence. I'm Lydia Finette in Newsstand Studios in Rockefeller Plaza, and I am so thrilled to have you joining me today. And I cannot wait to introduce you to the incredible Felita Harris, who is sitting right across from me, ready to dive into all things confidence after a short commercial break. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Claim Your Confidence. I am so delighted to have the incredible Felita Harris sitting across from me in newsstand studios today. Felita is an award-winning leader in the fashion industry who's broken boundaries and is paving the way for a greater richness of experience in equity and inclusion. Felita has held a number of senior executive positions, not only as the executive vice president at Alexander Wang and the senior vice president of Donna Karen Collection of LVMH. In addition to that, she worked with Leela Rose and she's put together partnerships with LVMH, Tapestry Group, Amazon. I mean, you name it, Felita has done it. Felita, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you so much, Lydia, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I know we were talking before about all of the people that we know in common. A number of them have been on this podcast before, and all of them had such amazing things to say. So I'm ready to meet you and learn about you and introduce you to our listeners. So start us off at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, Southern woman. I love it. Southern, very Christian, focused home. I'm one of five children. Wow. Where do you fall in birth order? Number four. Number four out of five. And do you have brothers or sisters? I have two sisters and two brothers. Two brothers. It's so funny. I'm one of four kids and it's boy, girl, boy, girl. So I feel like anytime I meet someone who comes from a lot of children, I like to say that I grew up in a rock tumbler of people with a lot of opinions who just are always telling me what I was doing right, but more importantly, what I was doing wrong. Mm, That so resonates with me. I feel like I grew up in a household where I had to find my voice. Mm Mm-hmm. And definitely, you know, fighting for position was a part of my experience. Every day, fighting for something. Yes, yes, absolutely. It is a good life lesson. And I think growing up with brothers and sisters is also very interesting because over the course of your life, you are faced with situations where you're in rooms with both. Mm. And so you, in many ways, because you've had siblings, I found it makes it easier to go head to head with a guy or a girl because you're so used to doing it in your own life. Did you find that? I did. My brothers were all a year apart, Mm -hmm. and I do find that I'm probably more comfortable around men because that was most of my experience. Mm -hmm. And I have a high regard for women because my two sisters are much older and raised me alongside my mother. So it is interesting how that dynamic shows up in your life. Did your mother ever use this phrase? I use this with my children a lot, especially with my oldest daughter, where I say to her, as I say something to one of my children and she repeats it back, they only need one mom, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) No, my mom was very much the village. (laughs) She was like, we're raising you together. We're raising you together. If they say something, listen. Listen to the women in your life. She was very much uh, that that mother. Wise words. Yeah. So when you think about your childhood, what were you like as a child? I love that question because I was a very different child than the woman that I turned out to be. Very introverted, 
shy, I would say, and I was an observer. Interesting. I grew up in a household where my father was very dominant Mm -hmm. and in control. And so everything was very scheduled and it was very Southern and you speak Mm -hmm. when it's your turn. So your opinion was encouraged when asked. Interesting. I remember when I joined sort of corporate America that I had to fight to encourage myself to speak up because I didn't grow up in that environment. Yeah. It's interesting because I do also feel like, and you keep referring to the South and Southern, and I use those phrases a lot when I'm speaking and people ask me about growing up in the South as a woman because it is a different culture. I mean, Mm -hmm. we both live in New York City now Mm -hmm. and it's a very different way to grow up when you're taught as a young child to speak when you're spoken to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even the culture around you very much sort of tells you as a woman that there's a place for you and it's not necessarily the chair of the board, right? That's right. That's right. You know, I worked for a woman at Donna Karen, Mm -hmm. Carol Kerner, who was really a phenomenal president for me. Mm -hmm. She helped groom and shape me as an executive and we were in a board meeting and I was whispering something like, you know, we were bantering between the two of us and she couldn't hear me. And she said, speak or you'll never be heard. Interesting. And it cut in the moment, Mm -hmm. but it was the best thing anyone had ever said. Speak or you'll never be heard. Those are incredible words. Speak or you will never be heard. And it was a pivotal moment in my life and my career journey. Where did you become who you are today then, if that's not who you were as a child? You grew up in Chattanooga. Did you stay there until you moved to New York? So my parents divorced when I was six. Mm -hmm. My mother remarried when I was 12. My stepfather was in the Air Force Mm -hmm. and we moved to Italy for three years. Well, that worked Uh, out quite nicely. (laughs) (laughs) She was very specific. (laughs) What a smart woman. She was very smart. (laughs) Yeah, so we lived in Italy for three years near Pisa. Uh Uh-huh. And that was obviously life changing Mm -hmm. coming from the South. Yeah. Um, It was our first time out of the country. Wow. My mother, being a single mom for six years, worked two jobs to support the family. She had a mortgage and two cars. And I was thinking the other day how courageous my mother must have been. She passed away last year. I'm so sorry. Um, She was. 38. Five children. Five children, one in college. And she made a decision to divorce my father and do it alone. Mm -hmm. She had a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, and a five-year-old. My goodness. Two jobs. For six years, she was single. And then she met your stepfather. She met my stepfather. And in, I think, the first three months of their marriage, he was stationed in Italy. And she left the country with her three little ones. And so what was it like to live in Italy as a child who was an introvert? So you're moved from the place that you've grown up. So Mm -hmm. you're 12 now, right? Which is an interesting age. I'm 12. The world had opened up because Mm -hmm. it was truly a multicultural experience. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, we had lived in a middle-class black neighborhood, preachers, teachers, nurses, solid. Mm -hmm. And this was very multicultural. So it was fresh, it was new, it was interesting, it was inviting. Mm -hmm. 
and we were wild. <laughs> yeah, I have two brothers. So we were like, my mom was like, where are you? <laughs> I don't speak Italian. <laughs> you don't either get home. <laughs> and the you street light is on. <laughs> the street light is on. It's time to come home. Yeah. And I we were just, it. we wanted to explore everything. I remember we were going to like the bar and getting like, you know, pizza and just drinking. <laughs> I mean, we were just so wild. Just living it up. The Italians were allowing it. Yeah. And that's and I still have such a love for Italy because Italy embraced three black young kids. And taught you what? Teenagers. Yeah. And teenagers. To live. To live. And to explore. Yeah. And that it was okay. That continued throughout my life. Yeah. Right. I ended up in fashion and that was not planned because I wanted to be an anchor woman, which we'll get into, but I, you know, that was a short lived dream. But it is ironic that I ended up in fashion and I visit Italy quite frequently. That is so funny that it was yeah. something that was planned so early. How long were you there? Three years. Three years. And then you came back to Kansas. To Kansas. He was, <laughs> this is an amazing story. To, yeah, to Wichita, Kansas, which is all white, Derby, Kansas. So Wichita is the base, and we lived in Derby which is like 45 minutes, the school was all white and we were, I can feel it now in my chest, silenced. Yeah, I can imagine after like freedom and wild. Yeah, you just, place, I yeah. actually don't remember the last two years of high school because I it was so isolating and I just, it wasn't an experience. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember racism or anything. It just was so starkly different. Yeah. So we got through it. However, there was a community. My brothers played a lot of sports. So we would go to the games and we met other communities. And so I was very active. I got into pageantry. I can imagine that you would be an amazing pageant queen. You really I, do. I won if Miss you NAACP. Here, you're so beautiful. <laughs> Everything about you is so Thank poised you. and beautiful. So you were in Kansas through the end of high school. Mm -hmm. Did you go to college? What was the next step? So I did a year at Central Texas, which was like for communications. That's mm -hmm. when I was like, I'm going to be an anchor woman. Yes. So short but funny story. I called the local station. I mean, this is like not what you do. Dial a friend, <laughs> not a state, not the secretary or whatever <laughs> at the station. And I said, uh, so I, I want to be on air. Uh, how long will it take? Mm -hmm. And I don't know who's on the other line, right? And she goes, baby, you'll be 30. <laughs> and that seemed like forever because you were I was 18. like 30 <laughs> and I was working at a store, I believe it was called Gadzooks. Uh -huh. And my manager, I went in, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I was always very ambitious. Mm -hmm. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. 30 is forever. And she said, you know, I think you're really good in fashion. Interesting. Why? Because you had good fashion? I was just working. Just... I was, you know, I was always very curious and, you know, well put together. Mm -hmm. She said, I have this like brochure to Botter College in Atlanta. My parents were stationed, like their next tour was like in Warner Robins. So back to Georgia. She said, I think you should check it out. I was so impulsive. It was five minutes. And I was like, yeah, that'll do. And I called my parents. I was <laughs> That's like, my oh. college. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it really. And so I will pause there and say that I believe very much that our lives are guided by God. I mm -hmm. am a Bible believer. Mm -hmm. And my 
confidence is based in the creator. Yeah. And so I very much move in that way with decisions, and I always have. Mm-hmm. And I don't regret them. Yeah. And so it was that decision to move and start a career in fashion that led me to where I am today. So this was all the beginning. It was that brochure being handed to it you. It was, yeah. It was the beginning of this it journey It was the beginning you. of the journey. So I transferred, moved to Atlanta, got a degree in merchandising and buying and started my journey into retail. And where was the first job? In New York? Neiman Marcus. Wow. Atlanta. Start at the top, right? <laughs> why yeah. Why start at the bottom when you can start at the very yeah. top? Yeah. Neiman Marcus in Atlanta, management training program. Mm-hmm. It was incredible to learn luxury from the best, mm-hmm. from the top. Yeah. I learned about connection. I learned about what we call like, you know, consumer engagement. I learned about the importance of sales associates and ensuring that they had everything necessary to close a sale. Yeah. And I was just intrigued with the entire process. And so when you were at Neiman, what was the sort of day-to-day that you then took with you into your next job? Like, what were you doing at Neiman? Because I always find the fashion industry has so many different places that you can end up. Mm -hmm. And I know that people always want to work in fashion without really sometimes understanding what that means. So tell us a little bit about the beginning of your career and where that led you after you left Neiman. So I started in retail. Mm -hmm. And you're so right. Like, there are so many different paths. Mm-hmm. I started in retail and ultimately ended up in wholesale. But the retail part for me was very important because I do think having the understanding of a luxury consumer mm-hmm. and the mindset was what I would need later on in my career. At Neiman's, I was an assistant manager working with sales associates day to day. And after I moved to New York, mm-hmm. I worked with St. John and Armani, very similar capacity. And yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I was actually speaking with my mom about this this weekend, about the things that you learn over the course of your life become building blocks, Mm -hmm. right? And so much of those early years in your career are about creating the building blocks that you don't even know you will need at some point, but that you refer back to. So when you move from Atlanta to New York, are you loving this job? Are you loving what you're doing? Did you find like that you hit your stride from the minute you walked into Neiman's and you knew what you were going to do? Or was this kind of an evolution? Because I love the early fashion year stories. Aliza was telling me about picking dust bunnies out of shoes while, during her <laughs> I podcast. Love Aliza. You know, I think it's interesting how we are so set on what we want to do early. Yeah. And we don't know. Right. And it goes back to just trusting the process. Yeah. I thought I would be managing the Neiman Marcus Linux store, the general manager of the store. Mm. I had visions of a Volvo, two kids, a dog, and a husband. And a mortgage. And a a, a (laughs) nice fat mortgage. (laughs) And, you know, staying in the South and seeing my mom on weekends, Mm. that was as far as I could see. And that would have been a great life. I had yet to see what was on the other side. There are people that you meet in your life to push you to the next level. I just hadn't met them yet. Yeah, so you were doing this job. And I think the other thing that I love you just said is 
you didn't know what you were going to do and that was okay. Because Mm -hmm. I don't know if you hear this, but I hear this. And if you are a listener in your 20s who is graduating or coming out of college or in your early 20s, just understand that the job you have right now may not be the job you have forever. And that is okay. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not even in the same industry, you are learning something that you will take with you, whether it's the skills on the job or whatever it is. Because I do feel like that's another piece of this. Everyone's always at the rush to hit 30 under 30 or, you know, 23 under 23 or whatever the new, the new hot list is. Yeah. It really isn't about the age that you hit it. It's about the process of going through it that I think is so important. And, and the process is uncomfortable, yes. right? I remember yes. like there there were years, like, you know, maybe 15 years where I felt, oh, this is it. Mm-hmm. And there then there are pivots that yeah. happen. Careers are not linear, no. right? And so... I do think it's interesting how you think you're set, even when you sort of go through that early process and nothing is ever set. You have to, you have to stay open to the process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing, and I've learned this having worked, I worked with Christie's for over 20 years and Mm -hmm. it's interesting too, because at some point a job will end. You never really Mm -hmm. think about that, but unless let's say you're Warren Buffett, in which case I think you can stay in your company forever, but most people, there is an end to your job. So the other thing you need to Mm. be thinking about over the course (laughs) of your career is what are you giving yourself to take with you to the next role. And that was something, again, we keep referring to Elisa Licht, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I do think that that was one thing we talked about a lot. It's really about taking everything for yourself that you're going to bring with you and Mm -hmm. never just thinking, I'm doing this here and I'm only doing it here forever because you never know what's going to happen. Well, and I love that you said that I joined Donna Karen Collection after LVMH acquired the brand. Uh I was there for 12 years. That's where I met Aliza. Yeah. It was the best remains, the best career opportunity experience of my life. Explain why, because she says the same thing. What is uh, it? What was community. it? Community. It was community. Okay. It was value add. It was acknowledgement. You were seen mm-hmm. and, and at various levels, right? I came in as a senior director. I left as a senior vice president of global wholesale spanning 40 countries. My God. So you were allowed to grow, evolve. You were given so many resources to refine your craft. And I think that that doesn't exist so much today. Yeah. But you wish it did because everybody who worked there that I know always goes back and says that that was the best experience of their life. That was the best company. And that was Donna, really. And that was that was Donna and also the executives that were hired. Yeah. I, I would say the HR team did a great job at, you know, culture ad. Yeah. Uh, I know we don't use the word culture fit. Yeah. Uh, today, but I like think we don't. Like we, <laughs> I, never I know, know. We I never know what's in it. I don't, I, right, right. It's like you know, fit ad, whatever it is. I think that we were really a match in terms of supporting each other, especially as women and a diverse group. Whether it's gender, ethnicity, industry, mm-hmm. skill, we worked really cohesively together, and that's saying a lot from a woman, a young woman from Tennessee. Christian, you know, Mm -hmm. as you know, many individuals at the company were Jewish. Mm -hmm. I never felt tension there. I never felt like an outsider being Black. I felt really at home. Yeah. And I thought I would retire there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Going back to your previous statement. Jobs don't last forever. (laughs) Jobs don't last forever. And it took a moment. Yeah. You know, and I think after that, joining Leela Rose was like that bridge to say, okay, what do I do next? ease into something else, try a smaller company. You know, they were very kind 
and then see what's next. But so with Donna Karen, how did that end? What was the end of that that took you to Leela? So G3 acquired Donna Karen collection yeah. from LVMH and Nima Marcus. Nima Marcus shows up so many times in my life. <laughs> I was about to say. They were calling going, we have a really solid business with Leela Rose. They're looking for a senior vice president. Mm -hmm. You know, we think you'd be a good fit. Try it. And I was like, I love Donna Karen. They're like, well, it's sold. <laughs> Move on and try this. And so I went over and it is hilarious. So I know Leela. I wear so much Leela Rose on stage. We were talking about this before. I'm probably the greatest sample sale buyer of Leela Rose that has <laughs> right. ever been ever Those been sample hit. sales are incredible. They're Women incredible. are like, yeah. Yeah, they're stripping down, trying on clothes. Mm -hmm. I've worn probably, I probably have 40 of them because I wear them still on stage almost every night. It is such a Southern company. It is like yes. the most Southern, like beautiful, bright colors. Mm -hmm. Donna Karen is so like the black, Everything's so black. <laughs> Everything's draping. Lilo's yes. so fitted. There's a waist. I there know. are flowers. Like I can't even imagine where you were like, I work for Donna Karen. I am wearing yeah. a black draped dress. And now mm -hmm. I'm working for Lila Rose. And I'm wearing a bright, hot pink sunflower yes. thing with a you know some incredible poofy mm -hmm. skirt on the bottom. So what was that transition like? You know, no one's ever asked me that. And it's <laughs> such a great question. It was a transition, yeah. right? I do think, you know, that year was a transition. Well, I want, I had always wanted to try a smaller brand. I think that I was willing to try, even if it was aesthetically different uh -huh. from what I had experienced for 12 years, Yeah, it was fresh and, you know, people need color and yeah. floral and, you know, Leela's such a great host. Yes. And it was a loving environment. So it was like, healing for me yeah in a way yeah and how long were you there a year Just it was a year. like a and then um, where's you next and alexander wang so several executives <laughs> All over the fashion at least spectrum. at least the color of uh black aligned yes exactly <laughs> i think the aesthetic of alexander wang was more closely aligned yeah but several executives from donna karen had uh joined alexander wang as the first executive team and so I was recruited to join as their head of global sales, retail, and to support their collaborations. Can you give me a really great confidence bust that happened to you? Something that you oh, look back on over the career. Where do you want me to career? start? I know. I feel like everyone says uh, that. But yeah. tell me something that happened to you that's yeah. going to make everyone, if they're having a bad day listening, <laughs> laugh out loud and think, oh gosh, if she got through that, I can too. Absolutely. Um, after Alexander Wang, while at Donna Karen, I'll start there, I saw fashion tech emerging on the B2B side. Uh -huh. And I was always very passionate from my retail days of working in the store as a sales associate, alongside sales associates, and even scaling wholesale businesses on a global level, the need to have product knowledge facilitated mm -hmm. to frontline sales teams. And what that experience looked like, you know, from digital assets to lookbooks, videos. And I found it fascinating that we were still so manual, mm -hmm. you know, having reps fly all over the world, coffee, donuts, trunks. I'm like, this for one, it's expensive. Yes, yes. And two, you can't reach everyone. So I wanted to launch an app that would facilitate product knowledge to everyone. Yeah. Right. So I in 2018 left Alexander Wang to launch this app called Inform. We had a venture development partner. So mm -hmm. it was just like an incredible. Everything was working like 
Seamlessly. Yes. <laughs> Great partners aligned to launch and we were awarded Business Innovator of the Year by Gary Wasner. Wow. Fashion Group International. Nothing could go wrong until the pandemic. Oh, yes. You don't really have frontline workers who are sales reps. Over 70% of frontline workers were furloughed. Yes. And as you know, the world of retail and every industry was shut down. So there was nowhere to deploy the app. Yeah. And I would say, Lydia, I have been on this trajectory of winning for so long, mm. quantum leaps. Yeah. Yeah. Being introduced to presidents and CEOs that would say, give her the opportunity when the odds were not in my favor. Right. Yeah. And this was my first, I would say, big loss. And I didn't know how to navigate through it. Mm. I had incredible support around me. But I was the CEO. Yeah. I was a founder. And you were the person A who, tech founder. A tech founder. A tech founder. And I had so many people who believed in me and I didn't want to let anyone down. So I paused the app and... You know, I love Campbell's chicken noodle soup. <laughs> <laughs> There's a segue. I, I, love, I love Campbell's. I love saltines and I love ginger ale. It yeah. is just like soup for the, the soul. cocktail. If I have a migraine or, you know, the flu or, you know, if I have to shut down a business, <laughs> I turn, <laughs> That's the turns list. out it helps with that too. Oh, Lord. Um, and I, yeah, it was ego. Yeah. I'm a single mom. Yeah. I'm a 15 year old. Oh, wow. She was what, 13 at the time, homeschooling, going through her own mental wellness. It was a lot. It was a lot. I was challenged to go within and test my faith, mm -hmm. um, my resolve beyond me. I don't know that we as humans are strong enough to only believe in ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think we we would love to subscribe to that. Yeah. Yeah, if I can go to the gym and eat right and you know, listen to the right podcast and then I will be okay. We didn't make ourselves. Yeah. Right? And so I had to align with the creator and rebuild in every way as a parent, as an executive, as a daughter, my mm. mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's um, and dementia. They didn't know which one. It was, she had had a stroke. It was everything that could go wrong, could go wrong. And yeah. And you're still sitting here. I'm happy. I found service in mm. that. Elizabeth Vandergoltz, the CMO of Farfetch, we had worked together in various times throughout my career. And I remember getting the email post George Floyd being murdered. A group of us want to create something to support BIPOC designers. Would you like to be a part of it? We need you. We need you. Yeah. We don't understand the power of reaching out to people hmm. and asking for help. You don't know how much that person needs you. Yeah. And I needed that lifeline. Can I go back for just one second? When everything was going on with the app, you have a daughter, and you said she was 13 as this was all going on. Mm -hmm. Were you sharing this with her? Did she know what was going on? Uh, some, yes, and not really. Today, I don't think she even realizes it. There are yeah. some things we share with our kids. Mm -hmm. And I think during that time, even our kids had their own, Yeah, right? They were also going through 
social justice movement, yeah. the pandemic, homeschooling. Like, yeah, there were so many there things were so that they many were things. at so, the same time. Yeah. yeah, so no, I wasn't sharing everything. I was trying to be strong for her and myself. It's going to be amazing when she realizes what you were handling for her at mm. that time, in addition to everything that mm-hmm. she was handling for herself mm. and how strong she'll be because of that as a daughter. That's a remarkable story. Thank you for sharing that, by Thank the you. way. So tell us what you are doing now. Mm. You just sort of gave us a little bit of a teaser into what happened next. Yeah. But yeah. tell so, us what the evolution was and, and what brings us to present day. Present day, I always lead with philanthropy mm-hmm. because I think the service piece, raise fashion, has showed me that I went from position to purpose. Uh-huh. And my entire adult life, I've been chasing position. The title, the money, the respect. Mm-hmm. That never filled or satisfied me, right? It was like, well, then, okay, so if you get that, then what's next? Yeah. Without fully enjoying what I had. And I think that's because we're not here to just have position. We're here to seek purpose. And so with Ray's Fashion, we're a nonprofit that supports BIPOC designers with a pro bono operational ecosystem. We really (laughs) spend time solving challenges for BIPOC designers, whether it's connecting them with wholesale partners, helping them with financial literacy, introducing them to supply chain resources, logistics, Mm -hmm. you name it, anything that they need to advance their businesses. We are a network of 300 pro bono executives. That's amazing. um, And we have 250 designers that we resource We also have a program for interns, HBCU interns. What I think a lot of individuals don't realize is that it's, well, I think we all realize it's expensive to live in New York. Some of us live in New (laughs) Jersey and Connecticut, but HBCU students have that financial barrier of applying, one, and two, even if they get the internship, they can't move to New York for the summer. Yeah, of course. And so we provide a living stipend. Amazing, yeah. To remove that barrier. And we introduce these interns to retailers and luxury brands for internships. I remember Branda saying when she was on here, Branda Sanders was the founder of Harlem's Fashion Fashion Row. Row. I consulted for them for one year, yeah. But I do remember her saying one of the biggest issues is that you can have this great designer, this BIPOC designer, who can keep designing basically in a hole because nobody ever gets to see it because That's there's right. no money to amplify it. There's no interest or they can't get to the right people. They don't even know where to start. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that that is an incredible resource to so many people who are excited to be part of the fashion world and don't even know where to begin. To that point, there are, I think over the last four years, several organizations that have been incredibly resourceful in finding opportunities for designers collaborations, retail opportunities, et cetera, even grant funding. Uh What we have underestimated is the ability for designers to scale a business, right? And understanding the mechanisms of how the day-to-day works Mm -hmm. and even the connections, right? When you look at revenue channels, it's not just DTC, it's wholesale, it's collaborations. I mean, mm-hmm. it's multifaceted in yeah. how you scale a brand. And so we provide that, that you can meet as many advisors as possible and the time does not expire. That's amazing. So you can always come back 
and triage an issue that you're having. And removing that financial barrier to information and access is significant. Yeah. We also this year launched a brand fellowship program, which I would say double down on that information through a series of masterclasses. We signed 17 partners. These are all executives at various companies that actually come into our process and lend their expertise within an eight-week process for designers. It's amazing. It's incredible how much networking is a part of this industry and frankly, a part of any industry that you want to be in for a long period of time, but especially Mm -hmm. fashion. And so those introductions, I'm sure, are completely and totally invaluable to the people who receive them. Of course, yeah. And they're meeting executives that they would never meet. I mean, some of these executives, it took me 10 years to meet or be in a room with, and then it becomes very transactional, right? So you don't really have the conversation. Or the relationship. Right, or the relationship, right? So the executives and organizations are very generous Mm -hmm. with their time, with their information. There's nothing that they won't answer. They post the program, they're joining our Slack to answer more questions from the designers. So it's an organization that's very dear to my heart, Mm -hmm. not only as a co-founder, but I see the need. You know, I experienced this from the sales floor, you know, to the ivory tower. Yeah. And I think that it's phenomenal and it actually supports every organization that is in service of BIPOC brands. Well, Felita, you are such a wealth of knowledge. And I know that every listener listening to this podcast right now will have learned so much from you. If someone is interested in getting involved with Raise Fashion, what do you suggest? www.raisefashionnow.org. Go to our website, sign up to be an advisor. If you're a brand, there's also a portal where you can go and sign up for support. So that really is the way we change and create more inclusivity for the industry. And that's my philanthropy work. Yeah. Yeah. And then tell us on the business side, what are you busy doing? So I have been consulting for the last few years, Mm -hmm. which I find very interesting. I've taken all of my experience and I lend that to, you know, support pipeline programs, revenue scale, wholesale, merchandising, et cetera. So, you know, I've expanded my business to support whether it's groups, brands, you know, fashion companies, I'm consulting. I cannot even imagine having a brain trust like yours (laughs) in a room. And I imagine any fashion company in the world, and frankly, any tech company in the world would be lucky to have you there. Thank you. Felita, thank you so much for joining me today in Newstand Studios. Joe and I always sort of exchange glances over the course of an interview, and he keeps looking at me, giving me a thumbs up. (laughs) I think we're both so enthralled with you and so incredibly enthralled with your story. And I still love the part of Italy, that you were wild. What what an amazing way to describe (laughs) your time in Italy. I will always think of that country with that story. (laughs) But I wanted to ask, where can we find you? What Instagram? I mean, where are you on social media? Where can we follow along with your journey? I'm on Instagram, Miss Felita Harris. I also have my website, FelitaHarris.com. And I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Well, Felita, again, thank you so much for joining me on Claim Your Confidence. Thank you. Thank you. Great questions. You, you asked some questions I've never been asked. So oh, thank you. I love that. I always love to hear that. Well, thank you to Joe for always making sure that everything is perfect here in Newstand Studios. Thank you to Rockefeller Center for this beautiful, amazing podcast studio. And thank you most of all to our listeners for tuning in thank week you. after week. I want to leave everyone with one thought as you listen to this podcast. You talk so much about purpose, Felita. Mm. What is your purpose in life? And if you don't mm. know what it is, Why don't you sit down this week 
and think about it. Mm. DM Felita, DM me. Come back to us with what your purpose is and what you plan to do with it because I love an actionable goal. I'm Lydia Finette. This is Claim Your Confidence. I look forward to being here again in Newsstand Studios next week. Until then, have a wonderful one. 